Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. So we're going to clear some debris this morning, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. And hopefully by doing that, we can kind of all get on the same page as we move forward. So starting in verse 13, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgraced, disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Last week, we did a little bit more work on this passage, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go listen to that sermon from the week before. But essentially, what's happening in the city of Corinth is what's happening today, gender confusion. Men did not know how to be men. That's why God had to tell them in 1 Corinthians 16, act like men. And women did not know how to be women. There was confusion like crazy. Women were wearing their hair like men, and men were wearing their hair like women. They didn't have any problem with that. And Paul comes in, he tells them, hey, nature itself teaches you that a woman wears her hair one way, and a man wears wears his hair another way. He says, nature teaches us this. It's an appeal to common sense. Let's come back to common sense here. Men are men and women are women. For a woman to embrace her femininity externally, that is a glorious thing. Hair is given to her as her covering. And for a woman to then embrace who she is as a woman visibly, externally, is in fact glorious. Nature itself teaches us this. But feminism does not like femininity. femininity. There's a war. It's hotly opposed in our day. And there are answers to the question, what is a woman out there? What is a woman? What is she? Who is she? And feminism comes with its answer. And so we lean into the experts in the field, and we've been hearing from them for the last 150 years. And it has evolved over the last 150 years, starting off with some very good and right things about the mistreatment of women, which is never a good thing, never permissible, never excusable, ever, but has continued to grow and continue to grow, and it's given its answers. What is a woman? Who is she? And feminism answer is a few of these things. Let's just look at a couple of them. A woman is one who can do what a man does. Whatever a man does, a woman can do. Feminism has its bark, has its bite. We must fight for women to have the same opportunities as a man. It's interesting here, when we start talking about who is a woman with a feministic or a feminism idea, it's all about what what can a woman do, not about who she is. Feminism rejects femininity, and it values, and it, it rejects any verses in the Bible, by the way, that suggest that a woman is different than a man. Feminism wants to be its own authority. It doesn't want to have outside authority. It wants to have its own authority. So ladies defining themselves in a world not being defined by God. Women wanting to define themselves, not wanting to be defined by God. They've been defined for too long in the feminism world. They now want to define themselves. Because of insecurities, women have rejected biblical femininity in favor of feminism. 
which is essentially a bunch of women screaming at each other, we can do this, we can be like men too. But that's not an answer to the question, what is a woman? Feminism does not have an answer to that. The world does not have an answer to What is a woman? Who is she? Feminists love feminism. They despise femininity. And ladies, here's the deal. There really is a war for your soul. Uh, it's out there. There is a war for your soul. It's raging on. Non-Christians have bought it. Many Christians have come to believe it. And it's just the things that are provided are just nonsense. It's just nonsense. And we've gotten so far from biblical manhood and womanhood that what God says actually feels wrong. Some of the things we've been reading the last couple of weeks feels wrong. We've gotten so far that what God says sounds sexist. That's how far we've gotten to the norm. From the norm. Maybe God just doesn't get women. There's a lot of mom bloggers that believe that. Maybe God just doesn't get women. Maybe you've heard some of these things before. Men, you've probably heard some of these things before. Ladies talking this way. Ladies, if you're especially if you're on Instagram or something like that, you've seen it. I see it everywhere. God just wants me to know my potential. God just wants me to know my full potential. You ever heard that before? <laughs> we always assume that our potential is really good. Not what the Bible says, that our potential is really, really bad. We always just assume that we're really, really great. And if anyone just saw our potential, man. If I just fall in love with myself and never settle for anything less than what I deserve, then I will be happy. You ever, I mean, this is stuff like this. Variations of it. Moms were somebody before they had children, and that woman matters. Some of this stuff sounds right. Ladies who are dealing with identity stuff when they have children, like, yeah, I've lost myself. These kids have stolen myself away. There's a lot of women that like the heck out of that. Yep. Yeah, I was somebody back then. Mom, take care of yourself first. Girl, if you want it, go get it. If you only knew how amazing you really are. I am amazing, I am amazing, I am amazing, I am amazing. If I say it enough, maybe I'll believe it. Girl, wash your face. Work hard, build your life. And here comes Jesus, and he says to every woman in here, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus dignified you by not just telling men that. He told you that. A woman today does not think she'll be satisfied unless she's living a life indistinguishable from a man. And it's all foolishness. It's all lies. It's not working. Google, why are women so unhappy? Just Google it. Why are women so unhappy? Look at all the millions of articles that come up. Here's some of the things that I found. Here, here's the profile of the most un, unhappy person in America. You want to hear it? Who's the most unhappy person in America? 42-year-old 40, female, unmarried, with no children, 
working in a professional field such as a doctor or a lawyer. It's the most unhappy person in America. Christina Hassler, in The Myth of Having Everything, article titled that, she says this, somewhere along the path of the women's liberation movement, we begin to buy into the belief that to be an empowered woman means that we have to be everything, to do everything that a man and woman both do. So instead of making choices, we've tried to fulfill both gender roles at the same time. Instead of giving us a tremendous amount of freedom and opportunity, this concept of having it all has morphed into something that excuses putting, putting so much on our plates that we're stressed out, burned out, running out of time for ourselves and our loved ones every single day. But as most successful women know from experience, just because something is challenging doesn't mean it's impossible. So here's what she says, essentially. It's not working, but if we just try a little harder, maybe you can be the one that has it all. Everybody else has failed. All these other women are burned out, stressed out, hair on fire. But it doesn't mean it's impossible. I can be the one. If women want to survive, she said, and thrive, and want their daughters to do the same, we need to start rethinking and reconfiguring what's become a dangerous way of life. Time Magazine, 2009, among the most confounding challenges of all the evidence tracked by numerous surveys is that women have gained more freedom, more education, more economic power, they've become less happy. No tidy theory explains the trend, notes University of Pennsylvania econ uh, economist Justin Wolfers. Here's the answer. Women cannot find peace by rejecting God and their femininity and embracing feminism and acting like men. There's no peace to be found that way. So let's answer from the Bible, who is a woman? How about it? Ladies, you want some answer? Clear, concise, can give you some anchors and handles. It's a whole lot better than hashtags. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and then this passage is going to open up for us. We're going to look at four ways that a, a woman, as we define her, is glorious. Genesis chapter 1 Verse 27, uh, verse 27, let's get a little bit of a ref refresh. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The woman is, okay, here's a definition. The woman is created in the image of God. You are built and made to image the God of the universe. We said this two weeks ago in the first part of this series, the earth is beautiful, mountain ranges, sunsets, the oceans, you sit on the beach and you just look out and you see, man, I feel so small, you stand in awe of beauty, go, look at the Grand Canyon, look at mountain, just whatever, outside, go out to, to, to Giant City and you just look at nature and it's beautiful, it's not made in the image of God, the woman is, though, you are more beautiful and glorious than anything else in all of creation. You are made by God for God. How about that for some dignity? You are made by God for God. How about that for some dignity? That's what feminism fails to tell you. Who are you? You're made by God for God. You're built in the image of God. 
You're created in God's image to glorify God. And then Genesis chapter 2 is going to give us this word helper. Last, last week, we looked at work, keep, and rule as the man, for the man. This week, we're going to look at glory as uh, the woman is glorious in her helping. She is a helper fit for him. And then we're going to look at her glory as a nurturer, her glory as a homemaker, and her glory in her weakness. That last one's going to be a lot of fun. Goodness. Glory is a helper. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Let's just pause. Everything up to this point in Genesis 1 and 2 is good. This 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 is good. And then it's not good that the man is alone. There's something missing. It's not good that a man should be alone. It goes on. I will make a helper fit for him. Helper. I will make a helper fit for him. Wives, women, both, single women and wives, you are made to be a helper. Helping is glorious. So this is specifically in the context of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, talking about Eve for Adam. It's a context of marriage. Marriage. Helper is woven into, however, not just marriage, everything it means to be a woman. You are a helper. But what does it mean to be a helper? Well, okay, God calls the man to work and keep the garden. And he can't do it alone. It's not good that he's alone. So he's out doing, doing his work, building calluses, do it, out there working hard, even in Eden. And he can't do it alone. It's not good. For him to do this well, for him to do this well, he's going to need a helper in the mission. So God makes a helper who is fit for him. And if we think about it like this, a helper is a beautifier, going to help the job go well and be done right. So if we think about it as like in the context of a house, okay, if, if the man is out doing the work, building this house, okay, and we're not talking about specifics about the, the work of a man and a woman, we're just talking about the woman as a helper and a beautifier, okay? So if a man is framing up the house and doing all the, the work to putting the roof on and all this kind of stuff and, and gets it all, all done, not the interior design stuff, but just gets all the stuff built and it's all framed out and the drywall's up, the wife comes in and she is a beautifier. She helps him turn a house into a home. And she looks at everything and says, okay, here's how this is going to be beautified. Here, this, is, this is going to turn this from a stick building into a dwelling place for a family. A wife is a beautifier or a helper who is fit for him. Essentially what this means is men desperately need help. We don't like admitting it. Woven into who we are is this idea that we're strong. But the Bible is clearly telling us here that we need help to live. We can't do our work. We can't exist in a good way with our, the best way that we possibly could. Even though God calls some men to be single and some ladies to be single, the whole point is, is that man alone needs help. And for single men who are not married, they still know very well they need help. Just go look and see how messy their house is. And it's not just that the wife is there to clean. I'm not saying that. But men need help. It's woven into who we are is to be needy. We're incomplete. We need help. We need a helper. So God makes a helper fit for Adam. Ladies, you are the daughters of Eve. It's applicable everywhere. 
A woman is built to help her husband and those around her to get things done in a way they couldn't if she wasn't there. Think about your lives, ladies. Does it feel like you're helping people all the time? It's woven into who you are. Just everywhere you go, if, if you work outside of the home, what are you doing? You're helping people. Even if you're in positions of leadership, you're helping people. You are helpers. You're built for this. You're wired for this. This is how God has made you to be. This, these are definitions that we can hang over your head. You are a helper, and that is a glorious thing. It's interesting when we think about this uh, idea of being a nurturer, a helper of others. When we think about a woman helping her husband, okay, helping her husband, but then we broaden it out and say, okay, let's just not talk about marriage. We're going to get more specifically into that in the next coming weeks. When we think about the woman as a helper of others, a word begins to rise to the surface. It's this nurturer. Inside of you, you are built to be a nurturer. That's why you help. Even women who don't have babies, inside of them, one of the most nurturing women I know is not a mom. And when she sees, she's a friend of mine, about 10 years older, friend of Jordan I's. If I said her name, many of you in this congregation would know her. She is a nurturing woman, and she has no children. When she sees me, she asks, how are you doing? And she means it. She really wants to know. She wants to know how to be praying it's just a part of who she is. Men are not permitted to have babies, nor are we natural nurturers. Men see blood on the knee, and we give our sons a high five. We say, way to go. The first thought is, I hope that turns into a scar. The whole hatchet incident of 2018, many of you know about. The first thought of mine, scar. <laughs> that was not Jordan's first thought. I promise that was not Jordan's first thought. I'm hoping we're far enough away from that incident that talking about this doesn't cause problems later. But that's the way men think. Ransom gets his first bike wreck yesterday. Way to go, buddy. I mean, he just barrels off the road into a neighbor's yard and just falls all over the place. I mean, head over heels. And we kind of nudge each other, and Jordan handled it very, very well. But men think about scars. We think about blood, way to go, put some dirt in it. Ladies are built to care for and to nurture those who are hurting. Another article on gender and empathy, listen to what it says about, about women. If you look at just empathy studies across the board, ladies test higher on just basic characteristics and traits within human beings. There's a consistent difference in average responses for people of each gender in regard to empathy. It raises interesting questions, though, about where these differences actually come from and whether they can be addressed at the root cause. What does it take for men to become motivated to, be tr to have true concern for others? Or are men doomed to a life of acting purely out of self-interest? <laughs> I hope we're not doomed to lives of purely out of self-interest. But what the answer is, the reason women are more empathetic, in general, again in these generalizations here, the reasons why is because God built you to be a helper. That's why. Christians know more and know why women are built to be empathetic. It's because of that central defining word in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Now here, here's what's so neat. In John chapter 14 and 16, uh, what does Jesus call the Holy Spirit? The helper. 
lest we think it's some, in some way derogatory or less than. The Holy Spirit's power is why you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit is not less than junior varsity, B-league, God. The Holy Spirit is the helper. The Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is helping us hear these things right now. The Holy Spirit's powerful. And ladies, so are you. Women, your glory is seen when you help others to see Jesus. You're built as a nurturer. Built as a helper, built as a nurturer, you're also, your glory is seen as a homemaker. Titus chapter 2. Uh-oh. And don't freak out about this, ladies, by the way. Proverbs 31, when we get to this in a couple weeks, we're going to see a woman who's a businesswoman who does work outside of the home, makes decisions, buys a field. So we're going to get to that. But Titus chapter 2 says something specifically that does not need to be rejected. It needs to be embraced. Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Here's the deal. Feminists have successfully convinced the world, the world and much of the Christian world that homemaking is brainless and that it's the bottom of the barrel existence. Can't be fulfilling. There's no joy there. The home is where you need to escape if you're going to be fully woman. And we have bought it hook, line, and sinker. We've drank the Kool-Aid. We've stood right with them and been embarrassed to say anything about homemaking. In fact, homemaking is so much overlooked that it's the first thing that's outsourced. That can go, that can be outsourced, not that important, not that big of a deal. The Bible, according to worldly definitions, is a radically sexist book, if we're going by worldly standards. But ladies, right here, God again gives, the, gives you the dignity of speaking to you and tells you a few things that are good for you. He's, in hearing passages like this, Many daughters of Eve stand with Eve, and they say, I knew it, God is holding back on me. But what if he isn't holding back on you at all? And your ideas for your existence aren't as good as God's ideas for your existence. But the world arrogantly shakes their fists at God that won't fulfill me. That's not what God wants for me. It says in here that wives are to love their husbands and children. Older women are to teach them how to do this. It requires teaching to love well. Older women need to come alongside and say, hey, when your husband is a bonehead, here's how you don't grab a knife. Here's how you love him well when he's not being nice. 
Men, there's no excuse to not be nice. But older women, there's no excuse for you not teaching younger women how to love their husbands and their children well. This is a clear directive. This is for you, and it is glorious. Glorious as a homemaker. All of this is put here. Working at home, the primary place, the primary place for the woman, the primary place, not the exclusive place, a woman was built to battle this world, to go to war in the home. You want to be a world changer? You want to affect generations, countless thousands of people? Take life at home seriously. Now, let me, okay, doesn't that feel wrong? Doesn't that go against everything that we hear? Working at home. It doesn't exclude working outside of the home. But your primary task, you cannot get away from your call to the home. Wives, women, you're built for the home. This is your battleground. Again, Proverbs 31, woman works outside of the home. Two weeks from now, we'll be there. But ladies, neglect of the home reviles the word of God. It reviles the word of God. You see it right here? Titus chapter 2. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Saying, I don't like that, it doesn't fulfill me, is equally as foolish as a, as a man saying, loving my wife well doesn't fulfill me, so I'm not going to do it. We would look at every man and say, that's foolish. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You don't get to opt out. Same thing with passages like this. But we've gotten so far from the Bible that passages like this feel oppressive. It, feel, it doesn't feel right. The way a wife loves her husband and children shapes the husband and children. I want you to hear the, and see the power in being and taking the home seriously. A wife who loves her husband and children well shapes her husband and her children. You want to make an impact on this world? You want to live a life that counts? You want to make a splash in the world? You want to live large? Again, take home Take the home seriously. Build a culture of grace and watch the world be changed. Your kids are going to grow up. Your kids are going to live in this world and they are going to be culture shapers as well. And they're going to live a life in this world knowing countless hundreds and thousands of people and your impact in their life will make a difference. Generations, literally, impacted by a woman who takes the home seriously. It takes brains it takes intellect, it takes resolve, it takes strength to take these things seriously. It's not brainless at all. Finally, there is glory and weakness. Your glory is seen in your weakness. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
I re-looked this word weaker vessel up this morning, and I'd kind of been mistaken on a few things about it. But this morning, this weaker vessel deal, it means it's pertaining to be with a smaller frame. It means other things as well, but you are smaller. We've talked about this before. One preacher talked about it as it's like men are a thermos and women's, women are a goblet. Okay, Men are a thermos. Throw it around. That Stanley thermos will last. You can hit it with a hammer. With a goblet, you take care of it, and you... Hold it carefully. And one preacher said that, and I think that's helpful. And I don't know all that it means because that, me, that word in other contexts means a lot of different things. But here's what I do know about you being the weaker vessel because of what the text says. You deserve honor because of it. It's honorable. Husbands are called to honor their wives because they are the weaker vessel. You being a weaker vessel should not call for people to, be, to give you pity or to be patronizing or to try to overpower you. It is a position of honor. It is a gift bestowed upon you. Now, let me just ask you this. Husbands, are there times that you don't understand your wives? That's why we're told we need to live with them in an understandable way. It's because we don't understand them. Wives, I think a lot of the same things can be said because you don't understand your husbands. Built into marriage is this idea that, okay, I think I'm right because it makes sense to me. And what you think is totally absurd. And the wife is thinking what I think and what feels right to me and what you think is totally absurd. Is this not the case? We're always talking back and forth. Like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't understand. Live with them in an understanding way, showing them honor because they are the weaker vessel. This verse will never be embraced by the feminists. Ever. There's never going to be a hashtag on it. There's never going to be a t-shirt made about it. There's never going to be a coffee mug with it printed on that you'll hold in public. But it is an honor and apparently... It is to your glory. Rage against it all you want. Weak women fire back. I'm strong. How dare you? I'm, I'm not the weaker vessel. God, why would you say that? I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. But there is honor in glorious weakness. Men do not get the honor and the gift of being called the weaker vessel. You do. Men don't get that privilege. Ladies, men often think, I've got this, I can handle it, but built into you, how you are as the weaker vessel, smaller and unique, is in you a knowledge that I need help. Helpers need help. Helpers need help. Within you, what it means to be a woman isn't, I've got this, I can handle it, is I need help. I need help. Not to be pitied, not weak. But a desire and a knowledge that I, I know that I need, I need help. God built helpers to need help, and that's a good thing. And I want to show you how weakness fuels worship and why this isn't a bad thing. This is a good, good thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be done. Chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul. Verse 7 through 10.
This is the Apostle Paul. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being, becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in, my, in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the deal. Weakness is the secret to power. Paul understood this. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Why? Why, when I am weak, then I am strong? So that Christ's power may rest upon me. In our own strength, in our own abilities to face today, ladies, I want to hear, hear me say this, in your own strength, in your own ability to face this day, on your own, you can't handle it. You can get through life, you can do it, and you can get some measure of sustainability from day to day, but you simply need help. You don't got this. Just like the Apostle Paul, and for us as well. In our own strength, we don't have this. Ladies, feminism would have you say, deny Jesus, take up your cross, and burn your bra. Or better yet, deny Jesus, lay down your cross, and burn your bra. You be you. Go get it. But if you can embrace this, the weak are convinced of how strong they are. The strong are convinced, I need Jesus desperately. And Jesus they have. And when you see you have Jesus, you have all the strength in the world. When you know Jesus is with you, you have everything you need. You are truly powerful when you know that your power is not within you, when, it's, when you know that it's within Christ. When you are weak, then you are strong. Ladies, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would uh, uh, perfectly work from an imperfect sermon. It's weird talking about these things. It's just weird. It's just weird. For me, preaching a sermon like that. God, you've built us unique and bestowed dignity upon us. And Father, I thank you for the ladies in the room. The strongest women in the, in, the, in the world are those who lean into these sorts of passages and say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'll take up my cross. I'll deny myself. Take up my cross and I'll follow you. That's not just for the men. It's not just a war cry for the men. It's a war cry for the ladies. As I said at the front end, I want to say in the back end, there's no condemnation. God, I pray that the tone of my words and speech match the tone of your word and your speech. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd work. Build up strong, godly, world, earth-changing women who believe in your word and take it seriously.
who do battle in the home, who fight to love their husbands and their children, who fight to serve and to nurture and to help all who are around them. Women who are quick to say, it's not me first, it's you first. And God, in the end, that's what you have done for us. Jesus, you came and showed us what self-denial truly looks like. And you died in our place for our sins. And so we're forgiven and we're set free. We thank you. It's going to be our joy to sing. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Love 